Welcome to Jesus Without Religion. I'm Mike Sinar, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today as we discover Jesus through the filter of grace. If you are a Christian, you are about to see the love of Christ like you've never seen before. Never again will you fear God or feel that you are inadequate or not deeply loved by Him. We know some people call that a license to sin, but as we go through this series, you're actually going to find out that soaking in God's kindness and total forgiveness of all sin, yes, all sin, is the only prescription that will actually lead you away from the disease of sin. So today we've got, a, I think, a really interesting discussion. We're going to be talking about this very uh, popular Bible verse that comes out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, where we hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, I've, I've oftentimes heard that verse to be hurled at Christians um, and the idea is that you better watch your P's and Q's because the Lord has said to us, depart from me, I never knew you, or that the Lord will say that to some people on judgment day. So first of all, I want to say this. There's some good news. Let me just get this out of the way. I promise you this. There's no believer that will ever hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And why can I say that with such confidence? Well, what would cause God to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Well, I would say sin would be what would cause God to say that. And what did God do about your sin? What did Jesus Christ do about your sin? Well, did he hang on a cross? Did he give his life so that you may have life, that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved and shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life? You know, it's very interesting how, how very quickly we say Jesus died for our sins, but if you sin one too many times, God might say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, wouldn't that make God a liar if he died for your sins? But if you sin too much, God is going to tell you to depart from him. And I don't know, there's a very uh, uh, important word when we hear this word eternal salvation. This word eternal, it, it means something to us. It means not only without a be, without beginning, but it also means without an end. So let's talk about what the without an end part first. If your salvation is without an end, well, it wouldn't be eternal if one moment you're saved, the next minute you stumble just one too many times, and then God revokes his salvation. No, that would indeed be a temporary salvation. And remember, your salvation is eternal. And we're going to use a couple other scriptures to reconfirm that, to show us that Jesus is indeed our anchor. But also, remember what I said, it's not just uh, without an end, it's also without a beginning. Huh, your salvation is without a beginning? Well, how can that be? Well, first of all, acknowledging that, well, you and I both had a, a birth date. I was born on March 13th. When were you born, right? We look at this and say, well, how can my salvation, how can my eternal salvation not have a beginning? 
And the answer, and this is something we never stop and think about, because listen, salvation, it's not your life being prolonged. You hear me? It's not your life continuing forever. Eternal salvation is Jesus's life being given to you. It's Jesus coming in, making his abode, living in and through you. Literally, Jesus gave his life so that you can have eternal life. So again, what would cause God to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Well, that would be sin, but I want to encourage you that it's a specific kind of sin. Uh, It would be the sin of unbelief. That is the only sin that will ever lead to somebody hearing those dreadful words after someone takes their last breath, the sin of unbelief, the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. And remember, what does God promise us? Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, this is what God promises. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, last time I checked, that word never meant never. God says this, there's never going to be a time that I'm going to leave you. There's never going to be a time that I'm going to forsake you. When, you. when you flub it up, when you are faithless, God says, I will remain faithful. Like God is going out of his way to make sure that Christians are built up, they're confident, and they're secure. Now, I know there's always the crazy league of us like, oh, you're, you're just saying sin doesn't matter. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. Sin stinks. We should absolutely avoid it. But don't tell me that the blood of Jesus Christ isn't bigger than the sin of human beings. Sin does matter. We're not made for sin. But don't slap Jesus in the face by denying what he has done for us. Don't rob Christians of their confidence. Like God says, you, you should be able to stand before him with confidence. Confidence. Why? Because your salvation is not about your performance. And that is exactly what I meant. That's what I said. It's not about your salvation. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about who he is. That's your anchor. If your anchor is in retaining your salvation is in your performance, good luck. You're going to be a miserable Christian. And I encourage you, run from anyone who's teaching that. Your confidence is in Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to see these people who are being called to depart. Well, you know who they were? This isn't, this isn't believers. This is like religious, egotistical, arrogant people who think they're awesome. These guys are pounding their chest. They, think they, they, they don't think they don't do anything for God. They don't think they're struggling with sins. Oh, no. These guys, they think they're the bomb. They're looking at God going, look at me. Look at who I am for you. And we're going to see that there's zero mention of works right? That we're not going to see any mention of that. You didn't try enough. You didn't do enough. We're not going to, we're going to see that there's zero mention of outward sin. It never comes up, right? So before we get into this, we have to back up on this verse um, to get a little bit of context uh, on this depart from me. I never knew you. So it starts out in Matthew. It's chapter seven. If you, if you have a Bible on you, it would be verses 13 and 14. This is what he says. He says, Enter through the narrow gate. Stop right there. This narrow gate, I want you to understand something. The narrow gate is the path to Jesus Christ. It says, for the gate is wide, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, 
and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are a few who find it. Now, the first thing we have to get our brain around, let's talk about this gate. People try to redefine the gate, right? Who, who is the audience here? Well, they're Jewish people. Now, what are the Jewish people chasing after for their righteousness, for their perfection, for their holiness, for their cleansing of sin? Well, by and large, at this time anyway, it sure the heck isn't Jesus. They're chasing after the law, right? And we know that through the law, no one will be found righteous. Through the law, the law is a ministry of condemnation and death, the Apostle Paul says, right? So the law perfects no one. So when he says enter through the narrow gate, well, who is that? What is this narrow gate that leads to life? Is it law keeping? Is that what leads to life? Is that how we receive life? through our performance? No, the law is Jesus Christ. Why is it narrow? Why are, why are these people being told it's narrow? Because the audience is Jewish people. They're running towards the wide gate. The wide gate that leads to destruction is, no, I'm heading back to the temple. I can do it. I'm awesome. I'm not, I'm not, I don't need a savior. I've got the law. We've got animals that we have bulls and goats that we can slaughter and we can kill. And that's how we're going to find our righteousness, our forgiveness of sins. So the narrow gate, Jesus Christ, the wide gate is you. It's performance. It's law keeping, right? The gate that leads to life is knowing Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's continue on. Then we get to Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse 15. He says this, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So this is your context here. We've got these false prophets. What are the, now again, everyone loves to throw away or throw around the world. Oh, false prophet, false prophet. If you disagree with someone, oh, a false prophet. Well, I'm going to throw it around right now. The false prophets are these guys telling you, you may hear a Christian one day depart from me. I never knew you. Friend, do me a favor. Listen to this study. It's a very short one and you decide who is the audience here. I submit to you that the false prophets are people out there telling Christians that they're going to lose their salvation because of their performance. Now, we'll be the first to say you didn't get saved because of your performance, but oh, you could certainly lose your salvation and be told to depart from me because of your performance. And I say hogwash. The the false prophets are the people who are taking your eyes off of Jesus Christ and submitting to you that there's any way to the kingdom, including retaining it, other than believing in the name of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he took them away as far as the West is from the East, that whoever called on Jesus at any time in your life, you will not perish ever. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. So then Matthew chapter 7, again, we move to verse 16 and 17. He says this, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Actually, I want to pull up something here real quick. I apologize. Okay, so their fruits. When we read the scriptures talking about good fruit, um, it's never, good fruit is never yours. It's never human beings. 
The good fruit is God's fruit. It's the fruit of the what? Is it the fruit of me? No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So when we talk about bad fruit, we're talking about human beings. Remember, the Scripture tells us this. Christians cannot, a good tree is a Christian, cannot bear bad fruit because the fruit is not yours. Certainly Christians do stupid things, right? Well, isn't that bearing bad fruit? No, that's not. He's not looking at your performance. The fruit talking about is Christ in and through you. Any, any love you exude, joy, peace, kindness, this is Christ in you. There are many unbelievers who are wildly rich. They donate millions of dollars, but that's not good fruit, is it? No, because God's not looking at you giving away a million dollars. He's not looking at you giving a homeless guy a place to live for a year. He's looking at Christ in and through. And if you're not saved, there's nothing you can do that God will ever see as good fruit. And if you are saved, there's nothing you can do that God is going to identify as bad fruit. Now, does that mean Christians don't do stupid things? No, I'm not even, I'm not even remotely hinting on that. Absolutely, we do stupid things. It's called sin. And as the Apostle James said, we all stumble in many, many ways. So now we move over to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. He says, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So cannot, impossible, not going to happen. Because again, the fruit being inspected, well, it's not yours, nor are Christian works uh, being addressed in those who are being told to depart from him. So every tree that does not bear good fruit, this is uh, verses 19 and 20, what happens? Everyone that does not bear good fruit, well, he's cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, so again, that's where these, uh, uh, I'm going to call the cult leaders, that's where these cult leaders are going to tell you, yeah, you're a Christian, and if you stop performing, you're, you stop bearing uh, good fruit, God's going to cut you down, he's going to throw you into the fiery pits of hell. What kind of salvation is that? I mean, you talk about not feeling confident. One day I'm saved and the next day, you know, I get a little bit lazy and I'm a couch potato. I'm not on fire for the Lord, as some would say, or that that garbage made up theology, uh, lukewarm Christian, which is nowhere to be found in the scriptures. Um, it's, it's all garbage. And it continues with this. He says, so then you will know them by their fruits. So again, this is not Christians losing salvation. Remember, we cannot bear bad fruit. Remember that the fruit being inspected is not human works. It is the fruit of the Spirit. This is talking about unbelievers, and that is the context of the verse, right? So here it comes. Here we get into it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 19 and 20. He says, not everyone who says to me, sorry, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So I want to ask you a question. What exactly is the will of the Father? Is it that we keep a bunch of rules? Is it that we perform really, really well? Listen, obviously God, God's heart is that we would not sin. Obviously God's heart is that we would walk in the Spirit. But the will of the Father is much deeper than that. You know what God wants more than your performance? God wants you. He wants you to believe in Jesus. He wants you to be saved. He wants to spend eternity with 
you. God is not obsessing over your performance, right? He cares, but he's not obsessing. God took care of that problem. According to John chapter 6, verse 40, he says this, For this, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Do you see it? God's obsession is you, not your performance. Your sin is not bigger. Your sin is the problem. The solution is Jesus. Who's bigger? Do you really think your sin is bigger than Jesus? Come on, guys. Let's believe in what Jesus did on the cross. Now, again, I only only stop and say this for all the legalists out there. I'm not saying we should sin. I've never implied that. But Dad Napa, it's time we believe in what Jesus did for us. It's time we believe that the blood on that cross worked. And again, if you want to look at that as a license to sin, then go to another podcast. Go somewhere else because we're not interested in that lifeless religion. We believe that what Jesus did for us rescued us for eternity. He is our anchor. He is our hope. Um, We have a better covenant, as the scriptures tell us, founded on better promises. Luke chapter 11, 18 says, um, actually, I'm sorry, let me pull this up. There's 1 John 3, 23. Let's pull that up. There's one more one. John, sorry. I'm using a little bit of a computer work here to keep up. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he loved us. It's about Jesus Christ, right? So again, what, what's going on here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of the Father. You see, these guys here who who are receiving this message, they think they've earned their way in. They're pounding their chest. They're arrogant, right? They think, here's what they say. I want you to listen to, now if I'm standing before Jesus, what might I say? I'd say, God, did I not call on Jesus to rescue me from my sin? Did I not acknowledge and admit that I can't save myself, that I'm nothing apart from Jesus Christ? Did I not acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross? He paid for my sin. He was risen again on the third day to give me new life. Amen. Now, also along the way, I might acknowledge, yep, God. And along the way, I still did some pretty stupid things. But never once did I stop and pound my chest and say, yo, God, look at me. Look at how awesome I am. Aren't you wildly impressed? No way, guys. I'm going to look at God and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, because without you, apart from you, I can do nothing. But what are these guys doing? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're going to stand before God on Judgment Day And here it is, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, you see them symbolically pounding their chest, right? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do you see it, Lord? I'm awesome. And in your name, check me out, Jesus. Did we not cast out demons? Boom, 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 boom. I'm awesome. And in your name, Lord, did we not perform many miracles? Listen, 
What's the difference, folks? If you're standing before God going, hey, God, in your name, didn't I avoid sin? In your name, didn't I beg and plead? Please forgive me from my sin. In your name, didn't I give 10% of my money at the church? In your name, didn't I go to church every Sunday? Do you see it? People are being stupid. We're starting to pound our chest saying, look at my performance. Wasn't I awesome? Now, I know you got some people, you know, are saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me like these are these are uh, unbelievers. I mean, do you not see, Mike, they were casting out demons. You know what, folks? I, let's just tackle that one. Actually. This is a good time to talk about it. these guys cast out demons. Well, read Luke chapter 11, verse 18. Here's what he says. And if Satan also has been divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you claim that I cast out demons by uh, Beelzebul, whoever this God is, B-E-E-L-Z-E-B-U-L. Mark 3, 26. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, he says, And if Satan is casting out Satan, he has become divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So apparently, unbelievers can cast out demons, right? And so Jesus says there will be those who cast out demons in his name, but they don't know him, okay? The only demons actually being cast out, if they're cast out, it would actually be Jesus Christ, not the unbeliever who thinks they're super powerful and godly. So then we come down to this verse. Now, I want you to notice what he says. I'm asking you to look for this. Did Jesus say, nope, you didn't do enough. You didn't try hard enough. Did Jesus say, oh boy, your sins were so excessive. It, It just wasn't enough for my blood. He says this, he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want you to pay very close attention to this word, never. These were were not people who were Christians and at one time they loved Jesus and they weren't sinning and they had a lot of works and then all of a sudden one day they just stopped. They stopped performing well, and then God said, hey, I changed my mind. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness and threw them into the fiery pits of hell. No, Jesus didn't mention anything about works or sin. He said, never, I never, there was no time ever in your life at any given point where you were Christian. I never knew you. Never take your face, your eyes off of that word, never. Jesus said, I never knew you. So what is this lawlessness? Is it sin, lying, cheat, and murder? Well, all believers are all, all unbelievers are guilty of practicing lawlessness. He, whoever does not believe will be tried. The, the, the apostle tells this: whoever keeps the entire law but stumbles at one point of it has become guilty of it all. The sin of unbelief is going to have you standing before God on judgment day and you will be guilty of it all. But if you have ever called on the name of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, let me tell you what he's not gonna say. He's not gonna say, I never knew you. 
You won't hear those words. Let's not omit that. You will never hear depart from me because he knew you. If you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't undo it. Your sin is not enough. God says, and he's not a liar. He says, friend, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus promises when you are faithless, I will remain faithful. Remember, your hope is in Jesus. He's your anchor. And because he is your anchor, you are safe, you are secure, and never, ever will you lose your salvation because God is good. God bless you all.